Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you here. Thank you so much for joining. An honor and a privilege. You want to call in 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Oh, my, we have some late-breaking news to share with you in case you haven't already heard it. Uh, and it's one of the fun things about this show is that anytime something happens late in the day, I often get among the first cracks at it of those in the in the media world. So that's that can be kind of interesting because late in the day, you tend to get information that for one reason or another they're hoping won't have much of a news cycle life so that means there can often be you notice i'm extending this out this is like when they're going to tell you who they're voting off the island they're like and we'll tell you right after this break we have one more commercial break and then we'll tell you who the bachelorette is uh but anyway so this time around the the late breaking news is about Hope Hicks, the White House Communications Director, uh, also known as the Hopester. That was what Trump used to call her, so I'm told. Now, uh, may come as no surprise to you, I, I was I was pro-hope. I was in favor of hope. Felt like we should always give hope a chance. Yeah, that's right. I, I'm a little bumped. A little bummed. We're going to miss the Hopester. Uh, but it looks like it was a little bit... Uh, too much of a few different things coming together here. You had those reports about Hope and the guy Porter, whose name, again, I'm sorry, it's one of these blocks now that I have. Rob, thank you, Rob Porter. Um, Rob Porter, accused, spousal abuser. She was involved with him, and then there was the initial defense, and people said, well, was that... So that's one thing that if you're the White House communications advisor and you have a personal scandal that actually is a scandal within the White House itself, that could be a problem. And then, but we're going to talk about guns and Trump's meeting about with Congress in just a second. Where I'm not going to, I mean, it's going to be wall to wall hopester speculation over at CNN. So if you want to see that stuff, you, you can just turn that, turn that on. They'll be like, what's going on here? Does Hope Hicks's resignation mean nuclear war is imminent? Uh, they're going to really have some fun with this one, but it it is a uh, it is a reminder that this is a White House that is under siege. That anyone who is too closely associated with the Trump administration, really associated at all, is under tremendous pressure, and politically speaking, is in the crosshairs of the. Ideological left, the Democrat Party, the media, I repeat myself, and they try to turn up the pressure with these narratives. I did just see a graphic, they flashed it up on Fox News a few minutes ago, of resignations from this White House, uh, departures under 
shall we say, suboptimal circumstances. And it, it is a long list. Hey, just just flashed up on Fox News. But General Michael Flynn, KT McFarlane, Anthony Scaramucci, Dr. Sebastian Gorka, now Hope Hicks, Rob Porter, Dina Powell. That's just from memory, folks. I mean, if I actually had the graphic in front of me, there's a there's a bunch more. The mooch. You know, I'm just it's just hitting me now. Now is when the mooch can swoop in and save the day. We could put out the mooch signal. We should do producer Mike. We should create a mooch signal. You know, it's like the bat symbol. But it's the mooch symbol. And we should, you know, because he this is where he can swoop in and save the day. Hey, we should also invite him on the show. I, I know that I like the guy. I know him. I just I love saying his name. It's a lot of fun. I like that he leans into it, too. I mean, my name is Buck. It's not like I can make fun of anybody. It's technically Buckman. If we're really going to get into it, but it's a discussion for another day. So hope is out. Back into serious analysis here. Hope is out. There's a lot of reason to look at this and say, all right, uh, the, the White House is losing uh, close allies either through pressure or mistakes or a combination. Did I even mention, I didn't even mention Bannon before. I just saw him for a second. I was like, who's that, who's that crazy looking wino who just rolled off a park bench? No, it's Bannon. I kid, Bannon, I kid. But I saw him up on the screen for a second. I left Bannon off the, uh, off the Trump train departures, but he's obviously one of the biggest ones. So... Yeah, the White House communications director out. I, I'm one. Do we know, by the way, producer Mike, who the have they already floated out who the replacement will be? Is there anything? Is there any rumor about that? I'm gonna put my money on. We should do like a, you know, like an office pool on this one. I think the obvious choice is Kellyanne Conway if she would take the job, right? But I think she's in a senior counselor role, so I don't think she'll step step into this necessarily. Uh, and then there are, there are a couple other. I think Kellyanne Conway is most likely, if I had to bet. And without, I haven't talked to any White House sources about this. So I'll just let you. This is pure speculation from uh, my side of of things. So hope is out. They gave hope a chance, and then they just sent hope packing. Makes me so sad. I was a fan. Goodbye, hopester. You will be missed. Nonetheless, we got some serious stuff to talk about today because, or other serious stuff, depends on how much you think. Oh, I, there, there was the Russia probe component of this, too. I shouldn't just skip over that. Whoops. She was testifying on the issues of uh, Russia collusion in front of the Mueller committee, the grinding bureaucratic Mueller machine, and left soon thereafter. There were reports that she said that she tells white lies on behalf of the Trump administration, and that didn't play very well. And uh, I would note that we start this show with what is not even a little bit of a, of a small lie, right? If you like your health care plan, you can keep your health care plan. Uh, politicians lie all the time. That said, and so do their staffs, that said, they, they should at least pretend to think that they're telling the truth. They know that we know that what they're saying is not true, but we pretend to think that they don't know what they're saying ain't so. You follow? You can't break that, what is it, enacting the fourth wall? You can't just be like, yeah, we're lying to you guys. I mean, but little lies, you know? Hey, the mooch. I'm sorry, I gotta stop doing that. Um, but she, yeah, she was. She said that there were little white lies that were told. and That was the report. Whether she said that or not, I don't know. It wasn't a closed hearing, right? So a leak. Oh, another leak. 
because, you know, I wonder who on the Democrat, which Democrat member of Congress does not believe in keeping confidence in classified settings? Hmm. A lot of them, I'd be willing to bet. But so that was big news late in the day today. The hopesters out. If any of you have some analysis on that, I would uh, be very glad to hear it. If you have something that I'm missing, if there's some part of this that you think I've I've somehow skipped over, if you think that there's a a bombshell that is still waiting to be dropped about this most recent departure, because hope was considered among the very closest advisors to Trump, but more than that, a close family friend. And with this administration, with Trump, loyalty is loyalty is maybe not everything, but it's almost everything. Loyalty is a lot for these folks and some of the most loyal early Trump supporters and some of those with the longest ties to Trump administration have been those who departed. Now, you got some like our friend Dr. Gorka who have gone out in the media and are, are just helping the White House from the outside now, but others obviously left under pretty uh, hurried circumstances, I think we could say. So I don't know if there's anything else to come from this, uh, but I think for right now, it's just more evidence and some more support for the thesis that if you're going to help Trump in any way, and that even goes for private citizens, that goes for people just who want to spread the message, right? If, if you are going to support Trump's agenda, you are somebody who can be targeted in one way or another. Your business, your reputation, they're coming for you, whether it's you know, people in just your day-to-day life, or if you happen to be a public figure or somebody in the media or in government, they have it out for you. That's for sure. In a way that is is different and is is deeply unhealthy. I mean, even compared to what we were dealing with in the Obama administration, you know, I, I can tell you that I wasn't you know, sitting around thinking about how I could collude, look at that word, with my fellow conservative media folks to try to, you know, force some member of the Obama administration out of office. Sometimes that happened, but I'm just saying that was never my, I wasn't just looking to, oh, he works for Obama, we got to get him out. You know, he works for Obama, that person has to be publicly humiliated and destroyed. That was not, that is the approach with Trump. That's what the media is doing, that's what the Democrats are doing. I haven't, I haven't heard a Democrat idea about anything except gun control and amnesty this year. Those are the only things that I've heard about. There's nothing about the economy. Nancy Pelosi thinks it's just crumbs you're getting back from the tax cut. They've got no ideas other than they hate Trump and they hate the uh, the direction of the GOP right now. Look, it's Trump's GOP, right? He's the, he's the leader of the GOP right now. So they know that. Uh, there was this conference on guns today. I'm going to tell you this. I'm very... Uh, I got mixed feelings on this one. I have mixed feelings on this one because you have already an overreaction in the private sector from some companies that are trying to cut ties with the NRA. I want to address this because we already have some early results. Is it a good idea to scurry from the sinking ship that you think is the NRA if you're a business? Maybe not. We'll get into that. Um, Also, what is Trump's play here? Because there are two options. Is Trump hearing all the different ideas, but eventually is going to land firmly on the side of the Second Amendment, and this will just be a way of letting the country 
exhale and share its, you know, emotional convulsion here over guns and gun control is to have this conversation, air it openly and then, you know, see where everything or is he really going to go against the NRA, the GOP, the Second Amendment on some of this? What's really the we don't know yet. I'm just those are the two options as I see it. This could just be Trump playing the system at some level, not in bad faith, because I think it's important to air out this discussion. I think there's a good there's good that comes from that no matter what. But I don't know what the end goal necessarily is from Trump's point of view. There's one more layer to add on to this. I know we've covered a lot of I'm getting myself dizzy sitting here in the hut right now. But one other thing to add into all this. Schools are safer now than they've been in decades. What if we finally just look at each other and say, making policy based on emotion and not on facts and logic and the numbers is a bad idea. No matter how upsetting it feels, no matter how much we have this you know, national airing of grievances about firearms and also the national mourning after losing 17 young people in Florida, it still does not mean that you should make policy that is contrary to individual rights, natural law, the Constitution, and the right to bear arms. And we should look at the facts first, facts over emotion. Should, or, or can we start to have that part of the conversation? Because I have some figures about school safety and school shootings based on academic work that's just making the rounds now that I want to share with you. That if we, if we believe the numbers, and people can try to come at the numbers, I'll share them with you. I've got them all here right in front of me. If we believe the numbers, here's the real truth of the gun discussion in this country right now. There's almost nothing we can do to stop the kind of school shootings that we have seen as a function of policy. And school shootings are not, in fact, the epidemic that we are being led to believe they are based on the numbers. I, this is, I know this is kind of sacrilege right now, but stay with me. We'll come back after the break. We'll walk through this together. We'll see where we are. Don't go anywhere. So there's this... Academic analysis making the ways, uh, making the, the rounds about school shootings. Here's a short version. School shootings are not some recent plague. School shootings are not actually accelerating as a problem in this country. And uh, it is very unlikely that anything that's being considered right now would prevent any of the major school shootings that we have seen. This is from Northeastern University, a, 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 an, an analysis of the numbers by Ali Nicodemo and Leah Petronio. It was just published. Since 1996, there have been 16 multiple victim shootings in schools or incidents involving eight or more victims and at least two deaths by firearms, not including the assailant. Of these, eight are mass shooting incidents, which involve four or more deaths, and that's over the course of the last 20 years. Big pull quote in this article. This is not an epidemic. Mass, this is a quote from the piece. Mass school shootings are incredibly rare events. In research publishing later this year, uh, these doctoral students found that on average, mass murders occur between 20 and 30 times per year. 
And about one of those incidents on average takes place at a school. So when you actually look at the numbers here, there are very, very few uh, mass shootings that occur in schools. And this is stretching back for, for over 20 years. The research also shows that when you compile the information that the FBI has in its homicide reports, Congressional Research Service, gun violence archives, the geospatial, Stan, Stanford's geospatial center, I mean, all every town for gun safety, all these different databases on school shootings and gun violence. Shooting incidents involving students have been on a, a pretty steady decline since the 90s. As I was saying to you yesterday, it felt like schools were much more dangerous in the 90s, and that was true. They weren't that dangerous then in general, but there were some schools in some areas that were dangerous. It is, in fact, now at a at a 20-year or near a 20-year low. I think the lowest it ever went was maybe 20, 2012. There was a lull. But remember, we're talking about a, a pretty small number of these events to begin with. So, you know, if all of a sudden in one year you have two or three shootings involving three or more people in, in a school, that would be a big, that would be aberrant, right? That would be a, a change from the trend that you're seeing. But there, this is what the, the point is that I'm trying to ram home here, because it should affect the way we think about everything else. All these gun control proposals is that schools are not more dangerous now than they were in the 90s. There is not an epidemic of school shootings based on the data from the last 20 years. And this is what no one's really talking about. Uh, when you look at how dangerous this really is for children, and you start looking at the... Uh, again, this is based on the numbers, because people don't... Uh, people need to uh, understand that, I, I, that there are a lot of emotions here, and, and I, I, I get that. But these are incredibly rare events. And as this report makes note, we should post this. We'll post this report on Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton um, or BuckSexton.com. We should put it up there, too. Um, you have more kids killed every year in swimming pool accidents or or not in, or in, in bicycle accidents than are killed in school shootings. Now, I know that it's very different when somebody drowns accidentally in a pool than it is if there's a, if there's a shooting in a school. But just in terms of the scale of the numbers, um, there are 55 million school children in the United States. You're losing about 10 a year to violence in schools. 55 million and now every life is precious, every life is too many, but if we're going to talk about the policy ramifications and the policy implications here, let's look at the fact that we're dealing with a vast population and a problem that is actually quite rare. We'll be right back. 98% of all mass public shootings in the United States since 1950 have taken place in gun-free zones. It's terrible. You've got to have defense, too. You can't just... Be sitting ducks. And that's exactly what we've allowed people in these buildings and schools to be. So gun-free zones make no sense. If you look at this based on the data, couldn't be any more clear. 
You've had lots and lots of shootings at gun-free zones over the years. This is uh, this is like adding a you know a, a a minor violation penalty for people that are committing homicides, right? It's, it has no deterrent effect whatsoever. If if you don't if you want to have a gun-free zone because you're worried about people who are legal carriers with having an AD, you know, an accidental discharge. I, I guess. I mean, look, if it's a private establishment, a private business, you're right to make whatever house rules you want. But we're talking about now government buildings, government schools, gun-free zones. Hmm. Uh, certainly not a gun-free zone for the deranged gunmen who show up wishing to do others harm. Uh, but this uh, this notion of, and this is what I've been getting at, because here, look, folks, I understand good guys with guns are the best defense against bad guys with guns. And, you know, good gals with guns, too. Uh, I know. I I agree with that. I am on board for that. We're not about to put highly trained armed personnel in 100,000 schools to deal with, you know, tens of millions of school aged children in this country and protect all of them perfectly. It's just not going to. I will tell you that other people won't tell you that. I'm just going to tell you that that won't happen. If we could do it, would it be a good idea? I'm not opposed to it. I'm just saying it won't happen. So as much as everyone's going to go on TV and people go on radio and they'll, they'll say that's the answer, that's not going to happen, um, in my opinion. I could be wrong. Allowing concealed carry, I think that has a force multiplier effect, right? Because if you allow concealed carry in schools, then any bad guy just doesn't know. You know? You, you could, and there have been school shootings and other would-be mass shootings that were deterred or stopped in progress by lawful gun owners. I, I get that. There are examples of this in the past. Uh, but concealed carry, one of the reasons why it's the only thing that has a measurable impact on lessening criminal violence in, in any context, in any part of the country, is because it changes the calculation of the would-be criminal, of the aggressor, of the predator. If the predator knows the prey is defenseless, that sets up one series of expectations that sets up a certain approach. If the predator doesn't know if it's prey or not, if there's no means of defense, that changes the calculation, doesn't it? So I'm more in, I'm I am more in favor of expanding concealed carry in schools for certain personnel than trying to create an armed force at at all public schools all across the country. Um, just on feasibility grounds, as well as look, look at the scope of the problem. As I've been telling you, there's not there are not that many of these shootings. We are not in the midst of a pandemic of school shootings right now. We just suffered a terrible one. But historically, we have the data and it's just not there. And everyone's very emotional right now. I get it. Right. It was tough. It's tough to cover this. It's tough to talk about it. Can't imagine actually being near it. And being a part of that community and everyone being inside the school and there's layers of of trauma here. And the closer you get to this, obviously, the more painful and traumatic it is. But trauma and emotion do not equal good policy outcomes. And when you look at the ideas that are being put forward right now, uh, some of them are just quite frankly not going to do very much. In this academic piece that I told you about, over the last 35 years, folks, I think this is, a, this is an important statistic, okay? Over the last 35 years, basically my entire lifetime, 
I'm feeling like I've been around for a while these days. My knees hurt. Actually, it's my lower back. I'm not gonna. My knees are kind of fine. I'm one. You know, everyone's got their thing. Right? I got a bad ankle, and like my lower back hurts all the time. Ow, my back hurts. It's true though. It does. So does my ankle. Um, but no, no. But seriously, guys. I mean, this is when when you look at the full scope of of everything else that's going on, and you look at the numbers. It's just not feasible to. It's not feasible to create this massive force or these things that people are talking about. It's just not realistic. And I know no, people don't want to say, because we want to do something. We want to take action. We want to make everything better. Um, oh, but yes, I was saying, in th- in, sorry, I got deterred there for a second because actually my back was hurting for a moment. I think I threw something out earlier today when I was trying to do some, what do you call it, a deadlift? Oh, gosh. Um, anyway, got to work on that one. In, the, in 35 years, all right, back to the statistics, back to this academic literature, in 35 years, there have only been five cases of somebody 18 to 20 using a rifle in a mass shooting. 35 years, five cases. You're, you're going to ban assault rifles. You know, you're basically ban the AR-15 and variants of it for millions and millions and millions of people. And not take the ones that are already in circulation, of which there are there are millions of them, because of what's happened five times in 35 years. And what this literature is pointing out is, okay, even if you did that, even if you say, you know what, Buck, if it stops one shooting, if it stops one shooting to get rid of the AR over the next 50 years, sign me up for it. Even if that, and look, people, I could under, there is a... You could make the case. I mean, I would think that that's extreme, but you, people could make the case. Um, one shooting in the next 50 years, ban all semi-automatic rifles with these cosmetic features or whatever the assault rifle ban they have in mind would be. The overwhelming likelihood is that somebody with ill intent would find another means. The obvious one would just be, how about a couple of handguns, which have been used in mass shootings, as we know, as we've talked about, um, or just... Vehicular attack, explosive, firebomb, arson, things like that. There are lots of ways to hurt people out there. Um, and it's it's a difficult thing to talk about the dangerous world we live in. But I would just note, you know, after, because one of the ways that the, the left talks about terrorism is they will always, you'll notice, they will downplay, they'll say terrorism is not that big a deal because, you know, more people, they'll do the same thing. They'll look at the numbers. They'll exclude 9-11, right, a mass casualty event that kills 3,000 people. They'll exclude 9-11 from their analysis, but they'll say, if you look at the numbers, more people die each year from bee stings than terrorism, right? They really, Vox and Huffington Post and these different sites, they go all in on just down, just downplay the risk of terrorism, specifically jihadist terrorism, right? The notion that there are Muslim terrorist groups around the world that wish to do us harm on a mass casualty scale not a multiple casualty but on a on the scale of thousands tens of thousands if they could millions and we know this we know this from their own words we know this from their own literature and their own actions right uh they like to say that that's just oh that's that's fear-mongering we shouldn't base policy on this and and, and here's what i'm telling you here's here's a difference um, the actions that we take in response to terrorism are based in the understanding that there are entire countries that are in one way or another platforms for that ideology and for that threat against us. There are millions of supporters of jihadist terrorism 
uh, at least on an ideological level, and some of you are yelling probably tens of millions or maybe more, but there are at least millions based on all of the academic literature, and I have read a lot of that literature, on jihad, about jihadist terrorism. There are millions of them around the world that support it, right? And if given the chance, they would, as we know, we used to talk about this in the Bush administration, we don't talk about it much anymore, but they would detonate a massive bomb in New York City. I mean, I, I worked a case here in New York where... A guy tried to blow up Times Square, right? Tried to kill hundreds or thousands of people. If they could get a nuke, they would use one. We know this. A school shooting is on a different scale in terms of the threat to the country. So when you look at what you're willing to do, what what resources you will put toward the problem, and also what civil liberties you're willing to compromise on, understand that School shootings, as we look at the data, are not an existential threat to this country. They're a terrible tragedy, but fortunately, they are, when you look at the information, look at the data, they are actually rare. They are rare. And all the things that we're talking about right now to fix them are very unlikely to fix them and could have some quite negative consequences. So let's, now that I've tried to put it in some context here, and I I know this is not the, the popular thing, I understand where where the majority of conservative media is right now, I understand where the president is on this, although I'm not sure what his final intention is in terms of the legal, the, the outcome, what laws or bills would be passed as a result of this. But I understand that the the thing to say right now is, you know, ar- arm, all, arm the teachers, arm schools, create schools that are hardened against attack. And I'm here to say, well, that's very unlikely to work. The problem is being exaggerated as an epidemic right now when it's actually, you know, this is not a continuous series of storms. This is a lightning strike. It's terrible. It's lethal. But it's also very difficult to predict or control. I know I'm I'm out here on my own on this one at some level, although, you know, the, the numbers don't lie. It's much more. Uh much more widely supported right now to say we're going to do something that's going to fix this or that can be done to actually fix it if we want to talk about fixes that would come much more at the law enforcement side of this problem but how do you make law enforcement more competent more efficient in dealing with this that's not an easy question in and of itself but now we have the possibility of bans and mental changes in mental health law and and these could become laws very soon. The White House is going to release poly- policy proposal on Friday. I'm going to talk to you about what the president said today about due process, where he stands on it. Some people, including some conservatives that I have a tremendous amount of respect for, are very unnerved by the president's conference today on guns. We'll talk more about that. We'll also get into some immigration, the latest on Russia. and you know, Oh, and I'll update you with a Syria deep dive in the third hour of the show today, too. So we're going to cover a lot of ground. Uh, if you want to, I, I would love to hear what your thoughts are on all this. I, I hope you found the deep dive into the numbers here in school shootings to be useful uh, as we talk about this, as we look at the different proposals that are out there. I think we've all been led to believe. I know we were led to believe that it was an epidemic because they were lying. That, that Remember that number? 16 school shootings this year. Actually, it's more like 16 school shootings over the last. Well, I don't want to get the numbers totally wrong here, but um, since 1996. It's actually 16 mass shootings since 1996, not this year. 
Remember that that number? I even said it on air, and then I corrected it because it was making the rounds on all the major news networks, right? They were intentionally to inflame passions and to mislead people on this debate when we were all emotionally vulnerable because of the atrocity visited upon children in our own country by a madman. They intentionally inflated the numbers to just throw gasoline on this discussion from the start. Now, when we look at the numbers, we understand why they did that. So you have to keep that in mind. This is deliberate. What do you think about all this? 844-900-2825. Lines are open. Talk about this, Trump's policies, then we'll get into some immigration. We've got a lot coming up, so stay with me. We have to do something about it. We now have to do so. We have to act. We can't wait and play games and nothing gets done. And I really believe that the people, this is bipartisan. It's a bipartisan meeting. And we're going to discuss safe schools. And we can really get there, but we have to do it. We don't want to wait two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and people sort of forget, and then we go back on, and then we have another problem. We want to stop the problems from having. President saying we got to do something right now on guns. He had this meeting today. Democrats there, Republicans there. Uh, had a whole bunch of whole bunch of folks gathered together, and Trump is pushing for some stuff. We talked about mental health and due process. We'll get into that second hour. Also, I have some breaking news that I will wait until the top of the next hour because I don't want to get into it right now because we have so many lines lit and I want to take your calls. But in the next hour, there have already been some retailers that have taken some action here with regard to the NRA, but some other retailers are taking action on gun sales. And a very, very large one, this just broke now, a very large company is taking some action on guns that you will want to hear about because this could be this could be a big break in the dam, so to speak, but I'm going to have to hold that until the next hour. So stay stay right here for that. Rick in Niceville, Florida, you are up, sir. What's up? Oh, not much. Hey, thank you for the uh, open market of free ideas. Thank you, um, sir. Um, the idea I have is, um, and it's just probably been bannered about, I'm not the first one to think about this, but someone had a, uh, statistics they put on Facebook, and I verified that 11 teenagers die a day texting and driving. You do the math, that's over 3,600 a year. Now, why can't we put safeties on phones? You, you, you want to do something, you want to save some lives, do that. And, 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 and this goes along with what you were saying earlier. This, you can't stop these. Every, what, every seven years you have a, a mass shooting by a, a kid 18 to 20. You aren't going to stop that, like you say. The next killer has the gun ready and is motivated. Um, this way, you could do something tomorrow, which to me, it tells me the whole idea. The, it's, it's, it's an agenda on the left to control guns. They don't care about children. They're like the Khmer Rouge. They use the kids and falsely empower them and, uh, and hide behind them and use children. That's what they're doing. Yeah, that, well, they're using the, the traumatized teenagers from... Uh, the uh, the shooting down in Parkland in order to yes, advance right. a very clear political agenda. I would note, and thank you, by the way, Rick, for calling in. I want to note that there has been reporting, because I was one of the early ones on this one. I was saying there's no way they're coming up with these slogans on their own, that there's no organizing, and now it's all... The media is not spending a lot of time on it, but they got to put it out there or else it'll be clear they're part of this conspiracy, if you will. There's left-wing organizing groups are all all over this, and they have been from the start. They're saying, oh, within a few days, they were taking this grassroots movement under their wing. Baloney. They were all over this from the beginning. They were using these kids as pawns. No 
question about it. Just like I said here on the show, now it's corroborated. They got Deborah, Debbie Wasserman Schultz talking to them. They got all kinds of, you know, different groups, Soros backed and not, uh, that are pushing along this agenda, this message. Kenny in Boston, good to have you all, my friend. Yes, how you doing, Buck? Uh, shields high. Shields high. Well, well elevated anyway. Uh, what I wanted to say is that I think what Trump is doing here is he just keeps doing a calculated risk, in, much like he did with DACA. And I think he's trying to – he knows they're going to try to use this as a, uh, an election issue, and he's giving them you know, stuff, trying to deflate their balloon. Because if he was obstinate and said, no, no, we're not going to change gun laws and stuff like that, they'd run on that. So he's doing it much like that. Well, that, remember, that was what I said about uh, – I believe that he was – when Trump is reasonable – it shows how unreasonable the Democrats really are. That, that, that is correct. And you know, the other thing is, is I find that the current ploy that they're using, the total gun ban advocates are using this thing where they'll come out with a first statement and say, I support the total, uh, the, I support the Second Amendment, but when, they, when you hear that, you're probably listening to a uh, total bun, uh, uh, gun ban advocate. Yeah, I see people. I see people, Kenny, who who will it, with with no irony, they'll go on TV or they'll be writing about this. Say, you know, we just want common sense restrictions, but it would be better if we just banned all guns. And we're supposed to sit around and not notice that. It's incredible what you see going on here, Kenny. Thank you very much for uh, for calling it. So, uh, guys, I got big news, big breaking news on a retailer that says they are raging the age limit on who they'll sell guns to. We'll talk about that coming up. Welcome to hour two of the Buck Sexton Show. We we have some breaking news here. Uh, I already told you that Hope Hicks has resigned from the White House as communications director. Now there are reports from sources unfriendly to this White House that Trump was very displeased with Miss Hicks, who was among people referred to her as almost like an adopted daughter of the administration or of, of the president, not the administration. Sorry. Very collectivist sounding of me, uh, but the adopted daughter of, of the president himself, uh, that he was upset that she admitted uh, behind closed doors that she lied for the administration. But if she was under oath and, you know, this is the thing with the Mueller probe, everybody. They're just going to try and get as many people with process crimes as they can. And we don't know what the context was for that question. So it's tough. Tough to know. It's easy to say, oh, well, how could she have said something like that? Well, maybe she was, you know. She's being asked by Mueller's people. You better be straight. You could lie about what you had for breakfast a year ago, and Mueller's going to get his guy. You're going to face charges. But so that's not the most breaking of breaking news stories we have for you because we got something else here, and I think this comes as a uh, as a surprise to some folks. You may have already heard that Dick's Sporting Goods has announced that it will discontinue selling AR-15s from its stores. And some people were pointing out, okay, well, hold on a second. Does Dick's even sell AR-15s? I, I, and I, I had lots of different friends on um, conservatives and social media were saying, look, I don't even I don't even know that they sold And it turns out, right, they haven't sold them for a while, I think, at Dick's. For six years? Yeah, six years. So they're like, we will not sell those rifles anymore that we haven't sold in half a decade. So this looks like a big a big effort at free advertising for dicks. This is not the news I want to tell you about, but I want to just put the announcement into context. What I'm going to tell you about is that Walmart 
Yeah. That Walmart will no longer sell guns. This was just announced. Guns or ammunition to people under the age of 21. Um, Here is the statement that was released on this. Uh, In light of recent events, we've taken an opportunity to review our policy on firearm sales going forward. We are raising the age restriction for purchase of firearms and ammunition to 21 years of age. We will update our processes processes as quickly as possible to implement this change. In 2015, Walmart ended sales of modern sporting rifles, including the AR-15. We also do not sell handguns except in Alaska, where we feel we should continue to offer them to our customers. Additionally, we do not sell bump stocks, high-capacity magazines, and similar accessories. We have a process to monitor our e-commerce marketplace and ensure our policies are applied. And then more about how they take seriously things, etc. We are also removing items from our website resembling assault-style rifles, including non-lethal airsoft guns and toys. Wow, water, like, orange Nerf gun ban, I guess, too, huh? Our heritage as a company has always been in serving sportsmen and hunters, and we will continue to do so in a responsible way. All right. This is the biggest domino to fall in this whole, in in my opinion at least, unless I'm missing something, of all these private companies that are taking action here, this is the one that I think is the most remarkable. And I I would note that Walmart raising the age, folks, they didn't come up with this idea out of thin air. I'm a big fan of the NRA. They want to do it. These are great people. These are great patriots. They love our country. But that doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. It doesn't make sense that I have to wait till I'm 21 to get a handgun, but I can get this weapon at 18. I don't know. So I was just curious as to what you did in your bill. We, you don't address we didn't. It? We didn't address it in the present. Look, I think you know why? Because you're afraid of the NRA. You got Trump calling out Republicans saying they're afraid of the NRA, saying raise the age limit for uh, for semi-automatic rifles. Okay. Um. This is where we are. I, I'm very curious what you all think of this. Because now I mean, Walmart, I, I'm assuming Walmart sells a lot of ammunition because Walmart sells a lot of everything, right? So I'm just going to go on the assumption that Walmart sells a lot of ammo and a lot of firearms. And remember, this is now no guns, uh, no guns, no ammo, unless you're 21 years of age now. So we are quickly seeing, with Walmart leading the way here, firearms becoming an age-restricted item and activity in a way that is similar only to the drinking age restriction, which I will note, I am opposed to that as well, by the way. 18 is 18 is 18. Adults are adults. People need to stop playing these games. In fact, I think the drinking problem in this country would be better addressed if we stopped thinking that making drinking illegal would somehow... I mean, have any of these people that are proponents of a 21-year-old drinking age spent any time on a college campus... You know the ones who are getting the drunkest, the ones who are in the greatest risk of uh, overdosing on alcohol, having to get their stomachs pumped? Freshmen. First year. I'm sorry. Pardon me. Microaggression. The first years. Also known as freshmen. Who are 18 for the most part. Some are 19, some are 17, but they're around that age. Uh, I, I don't know why we think this is going to be a good thing. I would also note that for anyone who wants to get a firearm illegally, there's still going to be lots of them in circulation. And 
now I think you're just going to create a situation where this will just lead to more demands at restriction. Right? As you get this age restriction, you'll have more restrictions coming soon. You'll have long waiting periods. All the things that the NRA has actually been concerned about for a while, that will happen. And it's happening with the president right now seeming to bless it. Uh, president Trump is is putting this forward. I I don't know what to I don't know what to make of this right now, folks. Because I was thinking, and we had a caller talking about this before. I was thinking that maybe Trump is trying to when I say appear reasonable, so to, to show how unreasonable the Democrats are, even when he makes a good faith overture to the other side on immigration, for example, Trump is rebuffed because, as I've been telling you, they don't want compromise. They don't want common sense on immigration. They want amnesty, amnesty, amnesty. That's it. On guns, I think they'll take incremental. Guns are a different issue for them. They're, they're, they're not, they know they're not going to get a re- repeal of the Second Amendment right away, so they have to go with incrementalism. And that seems to me to be the approach. And Trump trying to meet them halfway is not something that will ne- that seems like it's going to be rebuffed. Right. Trump saying that we should raise the uh, age limits is they'll they'll take that. They'll take anything Trump will give them on on gun restrictions, which they're, what they're now calling gun safety. Uh, and there are there are all these different companies that are also taking action on this. And they're they're mostly going in one direction. here. I would note the morning consult. Uh, the Morning Consult, which was actually, I believe, founded by a, a friend of mine. The Morning Consult, uh, only, you know, the, the random side note. Uh, haven't spoken to him in a little while. But anyway, the Morning Consult has some polling out here of what's happened to the companies that have changed their relationship with NRA members as a result of this mass shooting in Florida. And here's here's what it shows. Uh, you've got companies like Enterprise, LifeLock, MetLife, Alamo, National Rent-A-Car, Simply Safe. And here's what we've got on this. Um, Enterprise Rent-A-Car was, in terms of all adults, the favorability rating was plus 49. After taking this NRA action, it's plus 25. Uh, MetLife was plus 33 among all adults, favorability. After taking action on the NRA, plus 21. Alamo was plus 30. Now it's plus 19. National Car Rental was plus 29. Now it's plus 17. And Simply Safe, well, Simply Safe has actually kind of stayed the same based on this. It's actually it's gained some Democrat. Some goodwill among Democrats. But Enterprise Rent-A-Car used to have a plus 52 favorability rating among Republicans. After this NRA action, it's down negative nine. And I know there's that uh, there's that feud that played out in public with uh, Delta and the tax break from, what was the state? I forget, there was a Tennessee? Georgia. Um, so we'll get into that, but, but folks, this is, uh, yeah, Georgia, uh, Georgia cutting tax breaks, folks, this is, 
this is a change. I mean, this is a surprise, I think, for a lot of us that here you are, the Obama administration, with the full backing of the media, was somehow less able to create an environment for gun control and gun restriction than what we're seeing right now. I gotta say, I gotta say, it's a, it's a little surprising. And now I'm le- I'm starting to lean away from Trump is just trying to see. He's trying to hear everybody out. He's trying to negotiate from his side of the table, and we'll see what where the chips fall in the end. To It's actually looking like there's going to be some restrictions. I mean, private companies that are incredibly influential and powerful are already putting restrictions into place. So what do you think? Walmart raising the age limits. Do you guys do you think that that's a good idea, raising the age limits? Uh, here, here's my problem. There's a lot of problems I have with it. I don't think it'll be effective in stopping anything, really. But also... If, if we really believe that the Second Amendment is a constitutional right and that the rights of self-defense and defense against tyranny are rooted in natural law, don't we think that all adults in good legal standing in this country should, should enjoy their full second, second Amendment rights? We are curtailing constitutional rights here. If we do the stuff on the legislative side, I'm not talking about the private companies. That's, you know, they can make that decision if they want, and in the marketplace will speak one way or another. But it looks like Congress may do something, and if we're going to restrict, if we're going to restrict the rights of adults that are enumerated in the Constitution, we we better have a look a darn good reason. You know, you, you don't have a constitutional right to drink a beer, although I think you just have a normal human right to drink a beer when you're an adult. Um, but you do have a constitutional right to bear arms. And it seems like for some reason right now we are, if not forgetting it, being being forced to forget it. And I'm not there. I'm not with this. Not okay with this. Do not agree. I am not sold on this is a good idea. I'm definitely not sold on this reaching out to the Democrats and trying to find uh a, a bipartisan approach to gun control as anything other than an invitation to more problems, more restrictions, more haranguing. Remember, this is a proxy fight in the culture war, first and foremost, for most people on the left. It's not going to stop any violence. That's all preposterous. The moment you look at the numbers and the statistics and what really is pushing crime and violence in different parts of this country... It's, it's not about the gun control proposals that we are currently discussing. Full stop. It is about the left finding a politically uh, potent issue with which they can jam their thumbs into the eyes of the conservative gun-toting hillbillies that they feel like are represented by Trump and Trumpism. That's, that's pushing a lot of this, and don't forget it. Am I right? Am I wrong? Let me know what you think. I prefer to be told I'm right, but I'm okay with being told I'm wrong, too. 844-900-BUCK. Do please call in. The video games, the movies, the Internet stuff is so violent. It's so incredible. I see it. I get to see things that you wouldn't be... You'd be amazed at. I have a young, very young son who... I, I look at some of the things he's watching and... I say, how is that possible? And this is what kids are watching. And I think you maybe have to take a look at it. You know, you rate movies for different things. Maybe you have to also rate them for terror, for what they're doing and what they're all about. 
it's hard to believe that at least for a percentage or maybe it's a small percentage of children, this doesn't have a negative impact on their thought process. But these things are really violent. So then there's the, the broader cultural issue of that the president's addressing there of just violence in our society and how that might influence mass shootings. But, uh, yeah, uh, that, that's there's no bill you can pass, really, that will deal with that, at least not that I'm aware of. We shall have to see. Uh, we have a lot of calls here, and I want to. I haven't even gotten to the mental health and due process issue, which I that will be right after the break. But we have, as I'm talking, every single line here lit, so I feel like we need to get into some calls. Uh, let's do uh, John in Sacramento, California. Hey, John. Hey, Buck. I am an OSS and proud to be one. Oh, thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Um, I, and I want to say shield tie, of course. Shield tie to you. Um, Thank you. I, I wanted to comment on the Dick's Sporting Goods and the Walmart thing. Um, I don't know if you're aware of it, but uh, Dick's actually sold the guy. Yeah, they sold Cruz a shotgun. Truck. It wasn't the AR, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I honestly think that this is just them getting ahead of that before they get thrown to the wolves by, you know, saying, you sold this guy that killed all these people a gun. Doesn't matter that it wasn't the gun. You sold it to him. And um, then... You know, and uh, I mean, the, the place that did actually sell him the AR that he used, um, they're shut down and and have been had threats on their lives and everything else. And then, I, and then and I no one, say, just to be clear, also, John, I know you know this, but for everyone listening, there was nothing about the sale of the firearms that was illegal. They did the check. He passed the checks. They sold him the guns. Exactly. Uh, you know, and one final thing on that it, are people like boycotting the or, or um, threatening the FBI. I'm not advocating that, but are they threatening them for for doing this or the police for not doing something about this guy when they had him reported how many times? You know, nobody's doing that, but they go after the poor people that you know that did the legal thing, but yet the you know the FBI and the police departments they get get out with nothing. Um, well, I mean, I think there's a fair well, amount of public. Uh, public scorn that's been heaped, certainly on and rightfully so, on the Broward County uh, Sheriff um, Scott Israel, and and we don't know exactly who within the FBI ranks was responsible for dropping the ball on dealing with Nicholas Cruz beforehand. But it's something that we will have to continue to continue to look at. John, thank you for calling an OSS out in Sacramento. Uh, we have next up here. John in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Hey, John. Buck, uh, I'm a big fan. I wish I could have listened to you a long time ago, but uh, yellow alert, uh, Mr. Sexton. Yellow alert, shields up. Shields high, buddy. Thank you. Hey, my family hunts. So if we were going to take this back when I was a kid, my parents would be guilty of uh, contributing to delinquency of a minor if they took me hunting because if you lo- use the same logic for drinking that uh, you have to be 21 to drink if your parents serve you alcohol they're contributing to a delinquency of a minor so if they take you hunting isn't that the same difference? Actually I don't know what I, I'm going to be totally honest with you I don't even know what the law says I mean, it's probably different state to state about what the rules are for going hunting with a, a minor. I would assume that under parental supervision, there's a most states would have an exception, but I, but I don't know. 
<laughs> to be honest with you, I just I assume really the like... kids can go hunting with their parents or go shooting with their parents. That's not a problem, right? But I, in, in a place yeah, like I... New York, they'd probably be happy to lock people up for that. I have no idea. No, I, I've got my uh, hunter hunter safety card here in Pennsylvania when I was in junior high. I I got a I was a licensed bow hunter in the state of New York when I was thirteen. So clearly, clearly, if they would give me a, if they give me a bow hunting light, well, I guess that was a bow and not a firearm. If we're gonna be totally, but I mean, clearly, they knew that I could be out there with a bro, with a, a broadhead, and you know that'll kill somebody really quickly too. It's a very dangerous thing, and I was like thirteen or fourteen when I did that. So. Yeah, you understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah. A little fun it, buck trivia, by the way. How many of you knew I was a licensed bow hunter at one point in New York? I haven't even brought that up. I got all kinds of secrets, uh, John from Pennsylvania. I, I got all kinds of cool stories. Uh, oh, hey, whoops! I'm- we're about to run a break. Shields high, my friend. I just realized we're, we're almost out of time here, right? Thank you, thank you, John, on the board. He gave me a little nod, like, "Hey, buddy." Or, uh, folks, we'll, we'll take more calls, and we got to we got to discuss the mental health component of this. And then uh, maybe some FISA talk. We have to do something very decisive. Number one, you can take the guns away immediately from people that you can judge easily are mentally ill, like this guy. You know, the, the police saw that he was a problem. They didn't take any guns away. Now, that could have been policing. I think they should have taken them away anyway, whether they had the right or not. Now, I know the president was speaking off the cuff. But that's not really a good thing to say. You don't want the president of the United States, who is the chief executive of the federal government, to say that they should just take things, whether they have, that, that the police should take things, whether they have the right on it. Look, I know that's the president is not instructing law enforcement to just seize people's firearms if they happen to think that they're dangerous. He's working through these issues. This is one of the risks, right? I think it's good that you have a president who's willing to address this publicly in this way to bring in Democrats, bring in Republicans and and air the meeting so we can see it. We, the American people, could see that. And this is just an observation, but I think it's an important one. And it is that the Republicans all have a much greater ease and familiarity of discussion with guns than the Democrats do. It's just noticeable. This is where we get into the cultural separation here as well. That guns have become a signifier of conservativeness, that lawful gun owners and Second Amendment defenders are increasingly synonymous with conservative in the minds of a lot of the general public. You know, Democrats stumble through, you know, we shouldn't have, you know, automatic bayonet bazookas. And conservatives are like, well, if you ban semi-automatic rifles with cosmetic features similar to the AR-15, you're going to ban a lot of hunting rifles. And by the way, those hunting rifles, if you were to add a magazine with a larger capacity, would have every bit the lethality of the AR-15s that you have banned, right? That's the separation, you know, you Nancy Pelosi and her uh, her types out there are like, oh, we just, the, 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 the ones that make the loud bangs are bad. And conservatives generally... Not all of them, but generally the Congress have a much greater grasp of the facts on this. And yet here we are now with the president saying that mental health and mental illness and due process are all things that need to be worked out in one way or another here. <laughs> Folks, what's the law going to say? I Now, I've been a proponent of what David French and over at Nash Review and others have been Raising is a possibility here, uh, a temporary restraining order, temporary gun restraining order. 
Um, and there would be due process there. But what, what Trump seemed to be advocating for today, and maybe he'll walk it back or he'll clarify is, well, if cops show up and they think that you shouldn't have the guns, they can just take them. If that were to become policy, folks, think about what that would mean in a whole lot of states. They would just say, well, when in doubt, you know, we don't want to be blamed. When in doubt, take the guns. Call to a domestic dispute, take the guns. Right. Call to a gas leak. Find out they got a gun. You're worried about them. You think they're not really going to you know, take the guns. I mean, it's just you you kick the door wide open for abuse if it is essentially civil asset forfeiture, but it would be civil firearm forfeiture. Right. In civil asset forfeiture, the government says, I think that cash you've got is shady. So I'm going to take it a disgrace, completely and utterly unconstitutional. And yet it has been in practice for years. The Jeff Sessions, the attorney general and others are trying to cra- are trying to go back a little bit on. It, I think I'm not sure. I think they're trying to do a little bit of a better job with this. But what what it sounded like we heard advocated for today was civil firearm forfeiture, which would be the cops take your stuff and then you have to prove that you can get it back, that you should get it back. That's not that's not due process. That is not how it works. So, look, Trump was just speaking. It wasn't a it wasn't like a policy proposal that had gone through multiple layers of review. But, you know, we got to deal with what we deal with, what's presented to us here. What's the mental health legislation that's going to stop evil people from getting guns, as I've noted, and we've been discussing here on the show for many days now. Mental health is a vast array of different issues. The, the moment you give the government the leeway to say if you've ever sought counseling or if you've ever had a prescription for some kind of mental health related drug, you can't have a firearm. You're talking about disenfranchising based on the numbers, at least hundreds of thousands of uh, veterans, most likely based on what PTSD, what percentage of the veteran population is affected by PTSD. No more Second Amendment rights for them. And then you say, well, Buck, we wouldn't do that. We'd have a much more tailored. OK, well, we do currently have. Uh, what is it? Baker Act. There are means of involuntarily committing somebody. But that's a that's a that should be a high bar. Everybody, you don't want people to start getting sent away, deprived of their freedom and told and, and because they're crazy. That's what we're saying. When you involuntarily commit somebody, you know, yes, we're trying to help them. And there's other you know, hopefully they'll be. But that's a big move. This is not easy. Talking about mental health, we're going to make this we're going to make this an easier situation with mental health and stop gun violence. Oh no, you're going to create all kinds of civil rights and due process concerns for yourself. Um, let's get into some of these uh, some of these calls. See, look, it's a complicated issue. I know all this is, and it's very emotional. And I'm trying to stick to the facts. And and reason through this as much as I possibly can. Reggie in San Fran. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Um, let me just start out by telling you how much I appreciate your perspective. Thanks. Um, I take a lot. It's, I chew on it a lot. Um, I'm twice your age. I have lived inside the law and I've lived outside the law. And what I you can run all the numbers. You can give me all the facts and statistics. The bottom line is we're not playing in a world where facts and statistics are going to rule the day. We're in an emotional firestorm. 
And so it doesn't make any difference. No one has a need to know what the facts and figures are because they're not relative. What is relative, however, is that the other side has a long history of practice of being able to push emotional balls down the field and jam it into the American constitutionalist goal at will because we are unable or unwilling to mount a defense to stop them. And that's the problem we're in. You will not see a million conservatives march on Washington to ensure that their natural right is preserved. Maybe they're too busy working and being irresponsible, but they're not going to go anywhere. And until we recognize this is a fight for the very soul of the country, we're going to lose. I think you're right, Reggie. Uh, I know that it's not the most uh, sunshine and you know, sunshine and happiness point of view, but I think you're right. I appreciate you calling in, especially hearing from you in San Fran. You must be surrounded by a hostile, hostile liberals there. So thank you for uh, thank you for braving their possible displeasure and calling into us here on the show. Thank you, Reggie. Um, th- this is very important, folks. The whole framing of this issue that the NRA is this all powerful organization that always gets its way. You've got people running around saying the NRA owns Congress, all that stuff. Really? It was considered a victory recently in the Supreme Court case, D.C. v. Heller, in the, and this was in the District of Columbia. It was a victory when on a 5-4 split, the court said, you know what? You actually can't. It's not OK for a jurisdiction in the United States to just say no guns for you. That that was considered a victory. We're always presented with this. People say, oh, should it be okay if you have a bazooka? Could you be okay if you have a a machine gun? Can you have self-propelled artillery in your backyard? I mean, I don't know how many of you have tried to buy howitzers recently, but I would assume they're quite expensive. That's a complete and utter departure from what's really going on in this country. I mean, that's just lunacy. You are you have you have background checks. You have gun restrictions. You have uh, uh automatic weapons aren't allowed. A lot of states ban suppressors. I mean, I could sit here. I'm most familiar with New York because I live in New York, New York City and New York State. I'm most familiar with the laws here. I know they're different state to state, but I mean, there are states that have effectively banned guns. They've made it deeply onerous, expensive, and annoying. And there are many states like that. New York, California, Illinois, Connecticut, Massachusetts. Very, very annoying places to try and legally own a firearm. Whole states. And yet the discussion somehow is like, oh, it's just supposed to be crazy. Like everyone's allowed to have a have an, you know, a, a Harrier jet parked in their backyard. I mean, no, no. We live in a world already. We live in an America with lots of gun restrictions. We have an we have organizations. We have the ATFE that have as their mandate just making sure there aren't illegal firearms purchases. And, oh, by the way, sometimes they force people to make illegal firearms purchases in some ill-conceived scheme to make it seem that it's really worse than it is. But I'll talk about Fast and Furious with you another time. We are so... Look, we've been propagandized, too. Because we're having this discussion as though there aren't already so many different laws. People act like the, the NRA rules the country... Meanwhile, I can sit here and tell you stories of, for example, the single mother who had already been robbed, who was a lawful concealed carry permit holder in the state of Pennsylvania, who crossed over into New Jersey 
told state troopers when she was pulled over because she had been trained to do this as a responsible concealed carry permit holder that she had a firearm on her and they arrested her and she's facing 10 years in prison. You're going to tell me that we're living in like some NRA based Wild West? Lies, folks. We've been you're being lied to all the time about this. And you're also being lied to about how if we just do something and pass some laws, it's going to save a lot of lives or it's going to save any lives. I just don't buy it. The evidence doesn't support it. But here we are. Nobody wants to be a bad person. And right now, the good people want to do something. And the bad people want to respect constitutional rights and individual freedom. That's where we are. We hit a quick break. We'll be right back. Lines lit all over the place. Let's get to it. Brent in New Mexico. Hey, Brent. About chill time, man. Chill time. Hey, man, I'm dying to hear about this. So you have to have a a license to shoot a bow in New York? To be a bow hunter, you have to pass a bow hunting safety course in the state of New York, yes. That's like a crossbow, or is this like a regular bow? Compound bow, like bow and arrow, old, old school. Wow, you guys make a lot of sacrifices to be a part of the club in New York. New York. We, man, we certainly great. we certainly do. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to get to you with. Uh, I, I read that uh, the Georgia legislature is passing, you know, legislation to stop uh, tax exemptions for Delta because they're not supporting the NRA. And I don't agree with them having a tax exemption in the first place, but I think this is dangerous, man. I don't like using the government. For political views, I, it's, it's all. A, I agree. It's all a mess, right? Because he, he, I don't like. I disagree with what Delta has done, but I can't agree with what the Georgia state legislature seems legislature seems poised to do because I don't agree that they should be giving out special favors to companies in the form of tax breaks in the first place. It's just picking winners and losers through legislation. So there's a lot of layers of eh for me on that one. Yes, sir. I mean, I mean, we always talk about how we got to fight back, take the gloves off and stuff and fight them with what they do with us. But at some point, you got to draw a line. And I don't want the federal government or the state government involved with any of this stuff. I mean, if Delta wants to do that, that's their prerogative. And they'll show it at the economic level on who decides to fly with Delta. Yeah, well, there, you know, there's an article, I think, today in The New York Times by Ross Douthat, who's their their sort of conservative columnist. Uh, called woke capitalism about how now this is companies are all being forced to take political positions by their customer bases. Uh, that at least that's the perception that they have. So we'll see how this works out for uh, for Delta. And you know, I would note that you know everyone hates the airlines anyway. So <laughs> how much is really honestly? I don't know how much is really going to change how people feel about any particular airline. But we'll see. Brent, thanks for calling and thanks for holding from uh, New Mexico. Uh, let's take. Uh, Gosh, I got a lot of calls. Um, Steve in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hey, Steve. Hey there, Buck. Hey. Take my call. I'm just, yeah, I don't know where to go with this. Really, I just heard about the dicks and the Walmart. Walmart's probably got the sketchiest, na- you know, uh, parking lot, <laughs> neighborhood, unsafe, you know, thing. And so it's kind of ironic. Um, around here, anyway. You know, it's the place you go if you want to get robbed. But, um, Wait, what? I, I don't know. I, 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 there's a Walmart in the, near, uh, yeah, near my neighborhood. I can't really hear you, my friend. You got? Oh, you're saying Walmart's not bad. I can't. I can't hear you there. Anyway, Steve, go ahead and speak up a little bit. Sorry about that. I, 
you know, it could be I'm in a low-line area. So, uh, yeah, Walmart near me is typically, you know, a a pretty crime-ridden zone. Well, I mean, Walmart's like the biggest retailer in the country, though. There's a lot of Walmarts in a lot of places and a lot of people shop there. So forget about your your local Walmart. And what what else have you got for me? So, yeah, I'm just – so let me get this right. So I can go to Chicago and get a city ID, right, and vote. If I'm if I'm an illegal alien and register, and yeah, I tra- I and I could probably travel to to uh, another state, and uh, if I was over 21, and you know, buy whatever I wanted. I don't know. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm seeing sideways and red about the whole um, about the you know corporate America diving into the Second Amendment. Yeah, I hear you, Steve. I appreciate you calling in, man. It's I know it's a frustrating issue for. Uh, for everybody, um, and this one is particularly tough right now because a lot, I, I am a little surprised to see some of these companies take these positions. I guess they figure, you know, it's not they are not refusing business to NRA members. They are removing a preferred status program that some of them had in place for NRA members, and now you've got companies that are deciding to put in their own sales restrictions for firearms you know this is you notice none of this happened after newtown this did not happen after newtown and i i think we have to keep in mind that you know you had barack obama very anti-gun uh president and yet here we are now and you know look not not to compare i mean you can't compare tragedies. I mean, Newtown was as horrific as any school shooting could ever be. Yet somehow here we are with uh, changes in policy. Uh, Charlie in Ocean City, Maryland. Charlie's been on hold for quite a while. Thank you, Charlie, for your patience. What's up, my friend? Yeah, Buck. I Just a little change of, of uh, process in your program. I wanted to talk about the FISA deal. we got about a minute, but go ahead, Charlie. I had a, I heard a report today that... The committee sent letters to all the FISA judges. One responded, and she wrote back to them saying that the FISA court doesn't give out information, but everything they need to know is in the DOJ, who, when, and where, everything. Why isn't Sessions going to the DOJ and getting the information personally? Um, I think Sessions is saying, I mean, there, there looks like he's taking a more hands-on role now, although there was a little bit of a back and forth with the attorney general and the president earlier today, which actually, you know what, Charlie, your call is a perfect transition into that. So we will talk about DOJ FISA sessions and maybe if we have time, some updates on immigration coming up here and also a Syria deep dive. That's all next in the third hour. Welcome to Hour 3, folks. Great to have you with me here on the Buck Sexton Show. We are going to be talking about the situation in Syria, uh, the possibility of North Korean chemical weapons assistance to Syria, the Syrian government once again using chemical weapons in a suburb of Damascus in its fight against the rebels. We'll get to that. Um, And then we'll also talk a bit about, uh, well, we'll we'll do a roll call at the end of the hour. But first... Immigration talk. Uh, Just by way of review, the mayor of Oakland thought that it was a good idea, it was an ethical thing to do 
for her to warn illegal immigrants in the Bay Area that there were immigrations and customs enforcement officers who would likely be swooping down with arrests soon. You remember this? Yesterday, I learned information from multiple sources that there is potentially an ICE activity planned in the Bay Area. While I am very committed to being a law-abiding citizen, I feel confident that my sharing this information, because I did not receive it through official channels, is legal, and frankly, it's my ethical obligation. So an elected mayor of an American city thinks it's her ethical obligation to rat out federal law enforcement. Well, now we have a follow-up to this story I want to share with you because we have the director of Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, a federal law enforcement officer, Thomas Homan, and he spoke specifically to what he thinks about what the mayor of Oakland did. I've been doing this for 34 years, and this is a whole new law to intentionally warn criminals that law enforcement's coming. I think what she did is intentionally put law enforcement officers at risk. I watched her statement when she says her priority is the safety of her community. Well, what she did had exact opposite effect. There's over 800 significant public safety threat criminals. These are people that are here illegally already and committed yet another crime, been convicted of crime. She gave them warning, and there's 800 that we were unable to locate because of that warning. So that community is a lot less safe than, than it would have been. When politicians choose to, to take care of their political ambitions and make political statements on the backs of law enforcement, it's just terrible. It makes our job more difficult. Right. But I, I'll say this to the mayor and every other politician that wants to vilify the men and women of ICE, we're not going away. We're going to keep enforcing the law. If you look at what we've done the past year under this president, we have, we have really turned, turned the situation around. We, we, there was a 45-year low on illegal border crossings this year under this president's leadership. We have shown that if you enforce the laws the way they're written, it has an effect. Enforcing the law, despite the fact that clearly there are elected officials who think that the law shouldn't count, at least not when it comes to immigration. ICE has arrested 150 illegals in California in the last few days. But as Director Homan noted there, there were hundreds more who were not, they weren't trying to round up people who just happened to be in the country illegally. They weren't going into the kitchens of restaurants or looking into other parts of the service industry and checking for, which they would legally have every right to do, I would know, but they weren't doing that. This was prioritized enforcement, but somehow this mayor got a tip off, and I'd be willing to bet it was through official channels, by the way, but we'll never know, that a tip off that a major immigrations enforcement action was coming, and she wanted to give everybody the heads up so that those who... By the way, if, if you had a a deportation order out on you because you were a gang member, for example, so you're in the country illegally, you're also a gang member, you have committed additional crimes beyond just the illegality of your immigration status, and the mayor of the city that you're in is like, hey, guys, you know, you might want to lay low for a little bit, you'd probably take her up on that advice, right? She's aiding and abetting criminals, folks. That's what the mayor of Oakland did. She is aiding and abetting. This is providing providing comfort to criminals. Aid and comfort. That's what she was doing. Democrats love it, though. As I've been saying to you, mass amnesty is the holy grail of contemporary Democrat politics. Although they wouldn't like to refer to anything as a holy grail. Uh, but, but mass amnesty is what they're trying to push for. Because then nothing else matters.
because they'll get their way on everything. If mass amnesty becomes the law of the land, the entire country has the uh, demographic profile that is much more similar to, let's say, California, which just means Democrat. It means that they can, they can flip the country at the national level to being blue. And that's it. At that point, we're just heading for statism, redistribution, collectivism, forget about individual rights, forget about the Constitution. You know, I saw a really interesting uh, tweet. I think it was attributed to Jordan Peterson, Professor Peterson, who we had on the show before, that the the central premise of the American left today, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it's that uh, misfortune equals injustice. It's just not true. Just because things aren't going your way or things are rough or things haven't been great doesn't mean that there has been injustice done to a person. But if you create that perception that any any failing for any group or any individual is the result of some state failure. There's a lot of a lot of political mileage you can get out of that one. And we have a situation in this country now where illegal immigrants have become an elevated and protected class. Think about this for a moment. And I would note that if illegals were to get amnesty overwhelmingly. They would also qualify for preferential hiring and affirmative action. And people wonder why a lot of Americans sit around like, hold on a second. What? what? Why is this the case? Why, why is it that the Democrat Party seems more willing to fight for non-Americans than Americans? And it's just because of the power politics involved. Director Homan is doing the best job he can. He's saying, look, we're, we are going to concentrate on the on the worst of the worst here, obviously. And, and last year in FY17, we arrested over 20,000 illegal aliens in California. 81% of those uh, illegal aliens committed yet another crime, which con- were, were a convicted criminal. If you look at the operation we did in uh, Los Angeles just a couple weeks ago, we arrested several hundred aliens there, and 88% of them were criminals. So we concentrate on criminals. The numbers speak for themselves. And, and the target list for San Francisco was the vast majority of them were criminals, and the vast majority of them that we could not locate mm-hmm. their end to win because they were given a warning. This this highlights a really interesting, a really important hypocrisy of the Democrat Party right now. When it comes to federal law enforcement, that is the FBI investigating the Trump administration at the behest of senior DOJ officials, do not question it, do not criticize it. The FBI, the DOJ are sacrosanct. And that is the media narrative. They have their marching orders. That's the story. And yet when it comes to completely equally valid federal law enforcement of immigration laws, it's creeping fascism. It's Trump the dictator being some racist who expels those he deems unworthy from the country. That's the narrative they have on that side. You can see this for yourselves. You know what I'm saying is true. Right now, if you flip on ESPN, sorry, (laughs) that was Freudian. If you flip on ESPN, they actually might be talking about this. But if you flip on CNN, FBI, good. DOJ, good. That's the story you get all the time. Same token, if you flip on on CNN and they're talking about immigration and customs enforcement, it's always negative, always bad, always wrong. And you just see the politics oozing through. And the hypocrisy of this. 
because it is not about rule of law or law enforcement for them. It is about what the politics of the moment may be. And that is why they are rooting so much for Mueller and his DOJ squad and Homan and his hardworking ICE agents. They are uh, contemptible in the eyes of the left. Keep that in mind going forward. Uh, we need to move on to Syria. I do want to talk about Syria. Very important stories coming up there for this week. So stay with me through the break. We'll be right back. You are now entering the Freedom Hut Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. The chaos in Syria continues, my friends. This is just completely off the radar of most of the mainstream media. Sure, they have journalists, they have correspondents who are covering events in Syria, but very little attention is being paid at the policy level. Very few people outside of the circles that are tasked with trying to handle the specifics of the fight against the Islamic State and the aftermath of what happens if Assad stays in power, what happens if Assad goes, I mean, all of the different scenarios here that could play out. Uh, unless you're working on the issue or covering it for your job, it seems like no one's talking about it these days. And some very big things have occurred recently with regard to the Syria area of uh, conflict. So here's the latest. You have first a U.N. report out. And this was a couple of days ago. That is linking North Korea to serious chemical weapons program. Now, you will recall that the Obama administration initially drew its now much maligned and rightly so uh, red line. It was a, a line that was a suggestion. But it was on chemical weapons. And then there were reports about dozens of instances of chemical weapons being used by the Assad regime against essentially anti-Assad rebels. And we now know, and a lot of former administration officials, not at the very senior level, but people that were working at state and others are coming out and admitting, they did not get rid of Assad's chemical weapons. Okay, that whole plan that Obama had, oh, you violated the red line. We're not going to do anything about it. But John Kerry's got some deal now. That was just nonsense. They still have the capacity to uh, use uh, to use chemical weapons. They've obviously maintained some stores of chemical weapons. And now we also see the continued threat of the axis of evil it really is an axis in a sense. These are connected nations outside the. Uh, the good graces of the international community, right? But North Korea has a hand in this now, too. Here's what's going on, this courtesy of the New York Times. North Korea has been shipping supplies to the Syrian government that could be used in the production of chemical weapons, according to United Nations experts. The evidence of a North Korean connection comes as the United States and other countries have accused the Syrian government of using chemical weapons on civilians, including recent attacks on civilians in the Damascus suburb of eastern Ghouta, using what appears to have been chlorine gas. Now, if it is chlorine gas, that is pretty low tech as these things go, but it is also still a, an instance of a state using uh, chemical weapons. Uh, we know that 
The Syrians have had stockpiles of this for a long time, and they are in a fight. The Syrian regime is in a fight for survival against the anti-Assad elements, which is a very complex uh, assortment of Islamist and jihadist elements and free Syrian army and Kurdish militia and all these different groups that are all opposed to Assad. Uh, but now once you have a North, a possible North Korean hand in this, now remember the administration has not officially uh, come out on this one way or the other. Here's actually State Department spokesperson, uh, who I think is one of the best the administration's got, by the way, making the case out there. I think she's doing a really phenomenal job. But State Department spokes, uh, spokesperson Heather Nauert addressed this earlier today. This is something that the United States has had concerns about for quite some time that North Korea, especially as North Korea becomes more desperate, that they look for different creative and horrific ways to try to make money to fund their criminal regime. And when I say criminal regime, I mean their illegal nuclear and ballistic missile programs. If they are selling goods, material, whatever you want to call it, to Syria, it shows the depravity of that regime. And that is exactly why we stand so firmly behind our policy of denuclearization. So the North Koreans, because they don't care what we think of them or what the international community has to say about their actions, are willing to do things like sell the Assad regime whatever they can in order to make money. Well, if they'll do that with chemical weapons precursors, guess what else they would be willing to sell the Assad regime if they could find a way to do it? If you look at the history of WMD which is now an acronym that I feel like just always conjures up Bush and Iraq, but is, is a handy acronym for a, a whole bunch of other situations, too. The WMD connections between places like Iran, North Korea, Syria. That's why we have to look at these problems in as well. A holistic fashion makes it sound like I'm trying to come up with an alternative health approach, but we, we have to look at these as connected. And these are probably you can't ignore one and just think you're going to handle another. You have to be dealing with all these policies simultaneously. Um, but the North Korean regime sending precursor chemical weapons to Syria would be yet another reason why we got to really lock down on North Korean exports. It's not just so we can strangle their cash reserves. It's because the North Koreans will sell anything they can to the highest bidder, you know, as long as it's the right amount. We're already sanctioning the crap out of them. What are we going to do on top of that? So you've got that issue in Syria now, North Korea and Syria uh, coming together. And then uh, there was a very good piece in the Wall Street Journal. In Syria, foreign powers scramble for influence intensifies. This is what I've been saying for a while, that now that the uh, external, the, uh, external powers have turned much of their attention away from the Islamic State... Syria is a proxy battleground for many different interests. Um, the, the Turks have their primary concern in the north, which is the Kurds. The Kurds are going back and forth with the Turks, and we have U.S. soldiers embedded with those Kurdish militias inside Syria. So there's a particularly high level of concern over that. Uh, you have Iran straight up building air bases and other military installations in Syria right next door to Israel. You can imagine 
how that feels and what some of the implications are of that for Israeli security. Uh, the U.S. is really not clear on we, we keep having people say things like, oh, we need a political settlement. Uh, the prime minister of Australia just last week when he sat down with Trump. What's the answer to Syria? Political settlement. Well, we've been saying that for six years now. Yeah, that's that's the end. That's like saying the way to the way to you know finish the game is to have the referee blow the whistle. Yeah, we know. But how do you how do you make that happen? So there is not much of a plan right now, and there's a real concern about either an escalation, a miscalculation, getting in a whole lot deeper than we intend to very quickly. I've I've been telling you about that Russia uh, that incident where we had Russian paramilitaries that were going after Kurds and the Kurds called in an airstrike and a lot of Russians were killed in that engagement. We've also had U.S., uh, I believe it's F-22 Raptors in close proximity to uh, Sukhoi uh, Russian fighter aircraft and real concerns about them being so close that the Russians seem like they have hostile intent. We haven't shot down a Russian plane in 60 years. Uh, If we do, we are going to be in a very different geopolitical situation overnight. So these are the concerns we've got going on right now in Syria. I just want to make sure we keep our eye on it. I'm not going to go too deep into the the scrapping and the scrambling on the ground there, the different factions, but maybe we'll do that another day. For right now, though, I just wanted to note the chemical weapons connection that is alleged between Iran and North, I'm sorry, Syria, although Iran too, uh, and North Korea, because Iran and Syria are working together on everything, really. And then also just the increase in the proxy nature of Syria as a place where external interests, non-Syrian interests, are being pitted against each other and could draw us. This It matters to us more than the media is letting you know right now, or it could matter to us a whole lot more. We'll be back in just a few. I have some exciting news for all of you. We have a new member of the Freedom Hunt, in fact. We have somebody who has joined our merry band. I have not even met the member, nor do I really understand the new Freedom Hut Hutter's name. It will be explained to me shortly. But our own producer, Mike, has adopted, nay, has saved a canine from heaven knows where. Mike, let us know what's what's going on here. What's happened? Yeah. Um, so the new pup's name is uh, Cash Clubber Lang. Quinlan, um, it, it's called. It's two names because he was originally named Cash by the owner, and I, being from Philadelphia, am a big Rocky fan. So, uh, and I wanted to name him Clubber Lang. So, since he responded to Cash, I just magically so put you, the two you, together. You saved a dog, and you're calling your dog Cash. Cash Clubber Lang, but I, he goes by Cash. Really, you realize if you actually try to yell Cash Clubber Lang, people are going to think you're having some kind of an episode, and are going to call EMS for you or something, right? Yeah. Tough thing to yell all at once when there's a dog running on the street or something. Or in New York. They've heard a lot worse. That's probably true. <laughs> and so it's a it's a poodle mix? Yeah, he's like a cocker spaniel uh toy poodle mix. He's a he's a little guy, man. He'll be in here soon. Cocker spaniel poodle. All right. Well yeah. can we can we post a photo up on, oh. on Facebook.com slash Buck Saxon of the newest member? Absolutely. All right. Just be, pre- just be prepared on the inbox on Gmail. Yeah, that we're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of love coming Cash's way. Cash Clubber Lang, we'll have to check it out. Thank you, producer Mike, for uh, 
adding to the pressure that I will now have from both the audience and Molly to Miss Molly to uh, adopt a dog and save one. That's that's now something else that I'm going to have to uh, keep in mind. So, yep, we got another dog though. That's good news. It's good news. I will tell you, I I remember in D.C. Uh, visiting a friend who had two standard poodles, and I couldn't really. I couldn't really bond with the poodles. They just weren't. Now, they're not carpet sharks, right? Now, carpet sharks are, are a menace to society. They're dangerous, also known as highly trained attack dachshunds. But poodles can be, uh, for me, a little aloof. You know, they're, poodles kind of walk around and and make make references to the riffraff. I feel like all poodles wear a monocle and a top hat. That's what I'm trying to say. But lady poodles, boy poodles, doesn't matter. All monocles and top hats. But to you poodle owners out there, I know you're going to tell me they're hypoallergenic, they're super smart, they can do trigonometry. I know people, I've heard all this stuff. I'm always told that. People used to say that about Jack Russell's, like, oh, Jack Russell's are so smart. I'm like, really? Because I'm pretty sure they just yap and bite people. Now I'm going to get, you do when you, when you mess with somebody's dogs, by the way, like. Well, Cash does watch TV. And, that's pretty amazing. Actually. Yeah, and he, and, he, and he recognizes what's happening on TV. I, I remember, I knew a uh, King Charles Spaniel, which is a very cute breed of dog. I'm a fan of King Charles Spaniels, great little family dogs uh, that would sit there and and would just never bark unless there was another dog on the television, and then would start barking at the. T- and I, that just weirded me out because then you then you actually have this moment of recognition that you're dealing with uh, like a sentient being. Like there's a this is the the equivalent of the intelligence of like a three or four year old human in furry little canine form, and it starts to get. A little weird. You start to go like, oh my gosh. What, how many words can they understand? Some people say they can understand like over 100, 200 words. So, you know, around me it would be like bacon, chocolate, sleep, Netflix. You know, I mean, whatever dog finally enters my life other than the... See, I have a family dog, French Bulldog, Tallulah, and Molly has a family dog, Pitbull Mix. Pretty opposite ends of the spectrum here. Pitbull Mix uh, named Harold. So eventually when I get one, we'll have to see what words the dog can remember. Um, I, I just want to know, I have to, this is one of these moments where I'm being a little self-indulgent, telling you I have to go to the, the dentist next week, which, I don't know, I don't really, I actually, no, I hate it. I actually hate it. And I saw this thing on the Drudge Report that <laughs> that gave me, gave me a moment of pause here, or at least I felt like I'm not alone. According to a survey here, six in ten adults are too scared to visit the dentist. 62 adults, 62 adults, 62% of adults surveyed said that they are too too freaked out to even visit a dentist's office. Millennials, in fact, are more likely than those over 55 to do regular dental checks. Let Let me weigh into this one. This is like when people do Hey, maybe millennials are choosing not to enter the housing market. No, they can't. The reason millennials aren't going to the dentist, I'm speaking for my fellow graybeards here as well, is the dentist is really, it's just expensive. Uh, you know, the, you can go in there, maybe you're lucky, maybe you get a clean bill of of teeth health, and, you know, you just have to pay the whatever it is, 100 bucks or 200 bucks, the cleaning and inspection fee. Uh, but the moment you hear anything like, oh, I think we're going to have to uh, take some x-rays. Like, no, you just hear the ka-ching, the register. It's going to get very, very expensive. That's why people avoid going to the dentist. Another thing that I've learned from my uh, 
my my vast amounts of hours spent reading stuff that is often meaningful and sometimes frivolous. Uh, people's dental health, we're, we're all led to believe, just like with everything else, that it's all just a function of being judicious and that's not the right word. Um, it's all a function of being responsible. It's a better word. Uh, and and having good habits. The truth is, yeah, that matters a lot, obviously, and you got to brush your teeth and all that. Now I'm, do- now I'm actually doing PSAs on radio that say you need to brush your teeth. I need to rethink this maybe. But the, the truth is that your dental health, just like all other aspects of health, is very much affected by your genetics, by your diet, by a whole bunch of things beyond just brushing and flossing. This is what, and if you spend some time talking to your dentist, I have a very chatty hygienist that I'm going to see next week, and and it's one of these things where, you know how you're like in an Uber or a cab, and, and someone's talking to you, and you can kind of get away with like, eh, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, you want to engage, you don't want to be impolite, but you also aren't necessarily expecting to give paragraph-long answers. The hygienist I see, she'll just be like, what, you don't have any thoughts on dating? What do you mean? You got nothing? Come on and tell me things here. I'm cleaning your teeth. Come on, tell me that. And so I'm like, yes, ma'am. I'm like, yeah, I absolutely. It's dating in here. She's a lady. You know, she's a lady. She's, uh, I believe she is, she's divorced. And, uh, you know, she's on the dating scene. And she tells me stories about what it's like to be out on the on the scene as a lady with, you know, with her her, her preferences for uh, the kind of gentleman she's looking for and everything. And I just sit there and I'm a totally captive audience. I mean, she has she she has my gums in her hand. She's like, "So, what do you mean? What do you what do you think? Come on, tell me more stories. What what's going on here? Where's the ring for your girlfriend? Where's the ring?" I'm like, "Oh my gosh." And then it's So, I mean, this is my dental phobia, I feel like is actually based in something kind of real now that I'm now that I'm getting there. But uh, yeah, millennials, everybody, teeth, very important, very important, got to go. That's why I'm going next week. Hopefully everything will be okay. If, if it's not, I'll let you know. I'll be very sad. Uh, when we come back, we are going to do roll call with a spicy surprise thrown in for you. We'll be right back. Instead of blabbering on this time and forgetting to get to roll call, I'll just toss it in there right now. Let's do some roll call. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Ooh, a little bit of a dubstep roll call. Weren't expecting that one, were you? I'd like to keep you on your toes, team. All right, a lot of great messages coming in. I just want to say thank you to all of you who take the time to write to the show. Let me and Mike and the crew here in the Freedom Hut know what's going on and what's on your mind. Officialteambuck at gmail.com is the email. Until we get a real email, which we'll do. We keep reminding ourselves. Or even easier, if you want to leverage technology, uh, Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. That is our Freedom Hut inbox, and that is a great place to go to let us know what's on your mind. Okay, let's get to it. Uh, We have first up on roll call here, Ken. He writes the following. As an analyst, what is your opinion? Does the FBI, etc., ever learn anything from these mass shootings? tactical preparation and execution to me is amazing if we put ourselves in the perp shoes maybe that is the key to stopping or at least reducing future attacks you know can i think that the fbi learns things but i i also recognize the difficulty in trying to provide 
security for everyone at all times, meaning that the, the moment somebody the moment that somebody uh, makes the determination that they're going to try and harm as many innocent people as possible, you're talking about soft targets and soft target protection is just a, a near impossible task to get perfectly. You want to lessen the risks. You want to try and prevent everything you can, but you will never prevent everything. Uh, so that's the best I can give you on that. Next up here, we have Patrick. Opera, I'm concerned that you might think Pretty Woman is an action movie. Ooh, Patrick. Ouch. Uh, I do not like Pretty Pretty Woman. I know some of you are pointing out, how can you like Jennifer Lawrence and not Julia Roberts? Well... I don't have a good answer to that. But the opera's amazing, Patrick. I will say that if you go check it out, it, you learn the story before you go. And if you really appreciate classical music, the orchestras that they have playing at these things are amazing. And it's quite a, quite a scene, quite a, a cultural event. I'm not saying go a lot because it's a real investment of time. But the opera's pretty cool. Uh, Jody, next one up. She writes, another reason to say no to Australia, Buck. Pit bulls are banned there. Far too many innocent dogs have lost their lives simply because they meet the physical characteristics of a so-called pit bull found on a ridiculous and extremely subjective checklist. The Victorian government has been challenged several times, which brought about some slight changes to the law and checklist, but the ban has been in effect for close to 20 years. Definitely not some place I want to visit. Just a little info from your hopefully favorite pit bull rescuer. Well, thank you, Jody. I will tell you this. Miss Molly certainly agrees with you 110%. She loves pit bulls. And her family, uh, she rescued and then gave it to her parents because they fell in love with the dog. Uh, But she rescued two pit bulls from a cardboard box on the street near Times Square in New York City. And whenever anybody thinks that they're going to uh, get upset about how pit bulls are more dangerous, uh, Miss Molly is very defensive of her of her handsome Harold, as she calls him, although Harold lives with. Uh, her folks here in the city sometimes we babysit for him Uh, sometimes we are very much in charge now look he's a substantial animal if you're used to carrying around a you know little frou-frou-y dog uh, you won't be used to dealing with a 70 pound pit bull mix Uh, But from what I have read and and heard from a lot of dog experts, the the most important thing with any animal, just like really with any human being, is the way that it's treated. You know, the way that it's raised, the way that it's taught, the way that it's treated. Uh, So there's that. All right. Next up, we have Ashley. Shields High Buck. Love the show. Can you deep do... Can you deep dive do? Can you do a deep dive on exactly what the NRA is? I think there is a lot of BS out there about it. Uh, Well, sure, Ashley. I mean, the short answer is the NRA is is an organization that represents the rights of gun owners and and defends the Second Amendment. It's kind of like asking, well, you know, what are uh, any number of different interest groups out there all about? I mean... The NRA quite clearly refers to itself as a civil rights organization. So uh, that is, in fact, the mission and the history. I will 
perhaps be able to get to another time. Um, next up here, but thank you for uh, thank you for your note, Peter. He writes uh, still with you on the podcast every day. Wish I could join your conversations on the days it fits my expertise. I'm former army and an Iraq vet, a retired cop, twelve years on SWAT, and still teaching cops to win. Thankfully, you know what you're talking about and can fix those who have no idea what goes uh, what going into fire is all about and what we live and train for. Keep it up. Hold fast and shields high. Uh, Well, thank you very much, Peter. I appreciate that. Um, And look, it's it's always an honor whenever I do the show here, knowing that I've got folks like you out there who not only listen, but appreciate specifically what I do and what some of my background can bring to the uh, conversation so appreciate that and thank you also for doing what you do joanne she writes what does shields high mean you say it quite often i don't get it please post it on your page i would hate to miss what it means if you say it on radio and i'm not listening at that time Uh, well joanne shields high is just our team buck battle cry and it comes from The early days of the show, when I first launched the Freedom Hunt, which was, gosh, uh, 2011, no, 2012, 2012, excuse me, in 2012, I think. I can't even remember now because it's been so many years, but it was a Saturday show, and I would occasionally go into, as you know if you listen to this show, digressions about history, and I mentioned the ancient Spartans and the phalanx that they would fight in the heavy infantry formation known as the phalanx full of hoplite warriors hoplites called such because of their carrying of the hoplon shield and i just would i mentioned the old phrase that spartan uh women spartan mothers and wives would say to their husbands when they would depart for war come back with your shield or on it because the large hoplon the shield that the uh, infantry and the phalanx carried was an impediment to retreat, as in it's too big and heavy. If you're going to run away, uh, you would have to get rid of that shield. So either you come back with your shield because you won or on your shield because that is how they carried dead soldiers. And if you were a shield tosser, that was a terrible epithet in ancient Greece. That meant that you were a coward. It, is, it was the equivalent of saying, you know, you, you dropped your rifle before it had ever been fired and you ran from the battlefield. Uh, but shields high comes from come back with your shield. I used to say with your shield high or on it, because in the phalanx, you would have to hold your shield at a certain level for it to be effective in the defense of both yourself and the man next to you. So that is where shields high comes from. And it's a it's a historical reference. It's a. OSS or original Saturday squad, which is what we call the folks who first started listening to the show uh, reference. And it's just fun to say. So there you go. Um, We have next up here. uh, Harley, he writes, Buck, I'm in Aruba now and just had dinner at uh, Driftwood with my wife. As per your recommendation, it was amazing. Thanks for the tip. Uh, spending some time with those flamingos later this week. What a happy place. Well, Harley, I'm glad you're having a great time with the missus. Uh, Driftwood is great. I also recommend Yamanja in Aruba. It's in downtown. The food is delicious. And it's not overpriced the way that some of the uh, hotel restaurants that you can end up in will be. 
So I'm glad you're having fun. And Flamingo Island is really cool, too. You get to go feed the flamingos, and they just want to hang out. Very beautiful and fascinating animals. Uh, Well, that's going to be it for the show today here in the hut. Thank you all so much for joining. Uh, A privilege and a pleasure, as always. Looking forward to hanging out with you tomorrow. Can't believe it'll already be Thursday. So the week is indeed flying by. Uh, let me know your thoughts via Facebook and at Buck Sexton on Twitter if you're on Twitter. Till next time, my friends, Shields High.